Electricast. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Burden of Command podcast. I've got a great guest with you today, Mr. Wally Adamchick. Uh, Wally is author of No Yelling and Construction Leadership from A to Z. He's president of Firestarter Speaking and Consulting. He's a former Notre Dame mascot and former active duty Marine Corps officer in both tanks and attack helicopters. Wally, thanks for joining us today. Thank you very much. I appreciate the opportunity to be with your audience. No, I, I, and, and before we get started, I got to say, Semper Fi and hoorah. Hoorah, absolutely. Great organization to be from. <laughs> there you go. All right, so first question I ask all my guests, the term burden of command, what does that mean to you? Well, you know, anytime you hear the word burden, um, it suggests that there's something, I don't know, important or onerous or difficult about it. And and I guess there may be some truth to that. But when you say it, uh, the first quote that goes through my mind really is, uh, and I really think about it, is uh, that old line about everything that happens or fails to happen is the responsibility of the leader. So that's that burden falls upon uh, that leader, that person. But I think there's a second part of this, because when I say that everything happens or fails to happen, there's, uh, 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 you know, there's like, that. that's more about mission and things getting done. But when I really get uh, down on the burden of command, it's the moral obligation that we have as leaders to take care of our people. Well, absolutely. And, and I like that because, you know, hearing you explain like that, it, for me, it falls in line kind of with what you teach as your, your three laws uh, of leadership. The the first one being, it's all about you, right? Yeah. You know, it's impossible to lead somebody or something if you, if you can't lead yourself. Uh, and uh, that, uh, you know, that rolls into some self-awareness things and all that. But um, nobody wakes up in the morning and says, I'm a leader. Um, even leaders don't wake up in the morning and say, I'm a leader. They, they wake up in the morning and say, I, I need to drink my coffee or my diet Coke. I need to get this done. I need to get that done. I need to get this done. And, and all too often leadership is about what that other person is doing, what my boss is doing and not what I'm doing. So it, it is all about you that if you are in a, uh, a position or a role or an opportunity to influence other people, then, then leadership is part, is part of what you're doing. And, and, People don't look at themselves that way all too often. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's that's what I, uh, and I like that when I when I heard those rules because you know you have certain people, and let's be honest, to to lead other people, you have to have a certain level of ego. But, but mm-hmm. a lot of people like think that they can anoint themselves leader, and, and as you said, it just doesn't work that way, right? Well, no. I mean, you can call yourself whatever you want, but um, it is it is the followers who will ultimately anoint you. You know, anybody can give you positional power. That's the one where you say because I said so. But influence power, which is the real where real power comes from, is. Um, comes from who you are and how you are perceived and received. And ultimately, uh, you're given that gift of followership by your, by the team. Yeah. And I think, you know, cause your first two rules tie, tie very well into kind of, you know, the Marine Corps mission. Uh, you know, you talk about, it's all about you and it's all about them. Well, ours was mission accomplishment and troop welfare. And what all great mm-hmm. Marine Corps officers, leaders knew was, you didn't do one or the other. You had to do both. Yeah, you know, it's you're right. I mean, the the mission is is accomplished by people, uh, and uh, it's one of the conversations I sometimes ask when I'm doing executive coaching. You know, what's going to get somebody to take the bullet for you? You know, what's going to cause them to show up on Saturday morning at six a.m. to stay late on whatever night to get that report done? Right. It's the metaphorical bullet. Right. I mean, you know, so what's going to create that loyalty to you? Um, And, you know, the short answer is it's your loyalty to them that, you know, when troop welfare, like you said, um, looking out for the folks because then they might look out for you. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a favorite story. And, and, you know, I I like to share, you know, history through throughout my in-between podcast. And I'm sure I'll I'll share some chesty puller stories at at some time. (laughs) But there's the kind of the infamous story for those who aren't familiar with with chesty puller. He's kind of like the consummate Marine. Uh, He's got the chiseled jaw, the grizzled face. And, uh, you know, but there's a story of him. uh, I think it was at Peleliu where he catches uh, a Marine sleeping. And he wakes him up and, and his, you know, this Marine was expecting to get chewed out, but he looks at me and says, son, what would have happened if your captain would have caught you? I would have had to punish you. Stay awake. <laughs> you know? And it was that like, he knew what these guys were facing and, and like, he knew that he could have smashed him right then, but he, he kind of had their back a little bit engendered some of that loyalty. And that's why a lot of Marines that served with Chessie loved him so much, right? Well, I was talking about the black and white of management and the gray of leadership and that um, it's it's easy to make decisions in black and white uh, specs, tolerances, policies, procedures. But what you're talking about there on Pelu is interpreting a standard or a specification and saying, you know something, Uh, in, in, in this specific situation, what's what's the right thing to do? Um and that gray area is very difficult for many people because it's uncomfortable and there's no specific answer. Uh, but that is one of the, 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 the transitions that you need to go to when you go from management into leadership of moving from black and white into gray. And uh, in, in executive coaching, that's really one of the things that we often talk about. In fact, a buddy of mine did some research at the Army War College. Um, he's a Marine, but, um, about ambiguity. 
and that there is a correlation between the ability to operate with uncertainty and ultimate leader success. Well, I mean, yeah, thinking back on all of our, you know, Marine Corps directives, just about every one of them in some way, shape or form uh, had uh, something about uh, this, you know, this directive does not cover all cases or, or in cases not covered by this directive, use best judgment. Yeah. And it, it built that in, right? Yeah. And I remember when I got out of the Marine Corps and I went to work for Arby's restaurants initially uh, as a regional manager and the CEO at some previous restaurant companies where they had great success hiring uh, mil- prior military. So he was bringing it on into Arby's at the time. And, you know, just as we were finishing our training, he brought a, a fel- another fellow who was an Army uh, West Point um, guy and myself. You know, we went out to dinner and we had kind of that final conversation. And he says, do you realize what I'm hi- what I'm paying you for? Uh, and there's this long pause from the other guy and myself, like, ooh, don't want to get this one wrong. And he says, I'm paying you for your judgment. Mm. And that's that gray area conversation. Yeah. Well, no, I, I like that. And it, it, it'd be really nice if more uh, hiring officials kind of took that on, uh, hiring you for your judgment, because, you know, there's a lot of research that's been done by some of the big tech companies that, that shows that a lot of those traditional markers, GPA, where you got your degree from, all that, they have almost zero bearing on predicting long-term success of an employee. It's, it's those intangibles, the, the judgment, the decision-making, the adaptability, and those soft, like, leadership interpersonal skills that have a higher impact. It's kind of like the 40-yard 40 uh, yard dash in the combine at the NFL. It's sexy as heck, but... Um Really, a very low correlation between that and success. <laughs> right. And we see that happen just about every year. Somebody blows the doors off in a 40 and, and they do nothing yeah. in their career. Exactly right. Yeah. So, so, uh, Firestarter speaking in consulting, um, you know, talk a little bit about what y'all do and, and, uh, what our listeners, if they're looking for somebody, uh, you know, w- what you can do for them. I, well, I, the broad answer is that uh, my team, we speak and consult on leadership. Um, what does that mean? You know, and, and from the front line all the way exact to the uh, to the boardroom, uh, we've kind of niched a little bit into what I'll call non-residential construction. Basically, anything that's not a house, the folks that are involved in building that, whether that's on the design side, through the engineering side to the to the construction side, the maintenance side, and all suppliers that go into that. That, that's where the majority of our business is. But of course, we speak to leaders in all firms. I would say maybe 80% of the business is on that, that construction side. And, you know, if you look at what I learned and what I experienced in the military, it's a good fit. There's a, there's a field, there's an office component, there's a, an expeditionary component when you're working on a beach or on a job site and, uh, just a bunch of good folks who want to do work and, um, uh, understand that there's an opportunity to do great things every day uh, when um, permitted to do so. So I'm going to ask this question kind of tug in cheek, but uh, our listeners may be wondering what construction, I mean, how much more rigid and regimental can you get with very little gray areas we talked before? I mean, you've got a plan, you've got a materials list, you insert tab A into slot B and things happen. What, what room is there for leadership development in the construction world? You know, I get, I get a similar response when I go to one of my trade associations, which is the National Speakers Association, which is 
you know, the trade association of experts who speak professionally. And, you know, it's the same thing. People, you know, we're sitting, in fact, just a couple of weeks ago uh, at the national convention, we were in the Gaylord Hotel and just outside Denver Airport, brand new facility. Uh, you know, I don't know how many hundreds of millions of dollars it was, but, um, uh, you know, think about any structure you walk into whether it's a school or a mall or uh, an airport or the roads that you drive on. Um, I, I, to your point, tongue in cheek, say it wasn't the architect who built this thing. You know, it was, it was, it was people um, taking a specification, but applying it in a dynamic environment, i.e. an uncertain environment, which requires that interpretation and gray that I talked about earlier. Um, and it's with a variable labor force. We obviously, we all know the challenges with the labor force these days, um, and you know, finding enough high quality people. So yeah, it's about materialists. It's in about plans. And it, it, if you don't have those things, it doesn't matter who the people you have are on your team, you will not be successful. So those, those, those management disciplines that you just cited, um, again, planning, scheduling, all those things, um, people need those to be successful and the greatest people can't be successful without them. But when I take great management and great leadership together, that's when we have superior results. Um, and let's face it, I think that's what we're all here to do um, is to you know do the best we possibly can and uh, maybe make some money along the way or make a positive impact if we're a nonprofit along the way. Well, yeah, I mean, and it goes back uh, a couple episodes ago. I had a gentleman, uh, Joe Calloway, and and he talks about a lot of the same stuff. He talks about yeah. simplification and, and planning. And, uh, you know, it's like as we were discussing, it's like neither one of us could come up with an answer. Maybe you, you could remember, but I can't remember the last time that, that I sat down, I wrote out a plan, and that plan was to the T, the plan that was executed. Well, no, no plan survives contact with the enemy. Um, that, uh, uh, whether it's a game plan on a football field or anything else, and the power is not in the plan, it's in the planning. Um, and, and in fact, that becomes pushback because it says, well, why should I bother planning? Because it's going to change. Well, you should do planning because the power is in the planning, i.e., I now know the situation, the contingencies, option A, option B, option C. And I'm much more readily able to adjust or pivot, using that word we use these days, to to um, it with minimal downtime uh, and minimal risk to the organization. So, hey, this isn't going to work. I'm going to go do this. But that only happens because I've thought through it um, completely before I even got there. No plan survives contact with the end. Well, yeah, and I would imagine in, in the construction world where uh, you're on strict timetables and all that, that you want to have that plan, and as you said, those those kind of contingencies already thought out, so you can make those adjustments. So I guess in a lot of ways, leadership abilities, better planning, better execution saves a ton of money if you do it right, right? Well, and that's true in any organization that um, ultimately the word we look for here is efficiency. Um, and, and uh, if you want to flip that word around, you can call it lack of friction. You know, friction heats up and wears things down, including people. So well-led organizations are not friction free, but they are, they have less negative friction than poor led organizations. Yeah. 
So you, you mentioned kind of being a niche in the uh, uh, construction world. Uh, what, what led you kind of into that realm or did it find you? Uh, you know, I think it's a little bit of both. My, my dad and brother worked in construction, you know, you know, in their lives. So when I was 13, 14, I was doing, I was a helper on jobs. Um, and then, like I said, you know, obviously 10 years in the Marines come out, get my MBA at Carolina. And then I went back and then I got into the consulting world. And in that world, I, I bumped into the construction world a little bit and it just became a natural evolution uh, out of that, that the, the, uh, you know, the personality profiles, the nature of the work, it just fits me really well. And I fit them really well. And I, uh, you know, some people comment on my ability to, you know, stand in front of a, an audience of construction foremen or construction superintendents, uh, you know, pretty much hardcore blue collar, um, direct, you know, type A people and, and, you know, get them to laugh and, have a conversation uh, and make an impact on them. People go, my God, how do you do that? That must be so hard. And I'm like, not really. It's I'm talking to my brother when I'm talking to those folks. The punchline there is they know I trust, they know I respect them. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm not there as some guy with an MBA or an author of two books. I'm there as a guy who understands their world and has some ideas and is willing to have a, co a humble conversation about how these might work for you. No different than what a good leader would do in a, any situation, right? I trust you. I respect you. I, I have humility to know that I don't have all the answers. Let's collaborate to see how we can be better together. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, and that's, I've said it before, and I'll probably save it a million more times before I die, but, but leadership mm. is just a relationship, right? Well, that's exactly right. And, um, you know, <laughs> the good book by Kuzis and Posner on that one, uh, out of the leadership challenge. And that's what it is. The leadership is a relationship. And, uh, if people are, say, are sitting here going, how can I become a better leader? Work on your relationship building skills, whether that's reading how to win friends and influence people by Dale Carnegie written, you know, back in the first half of the last century, but in still a timeless classic and, and things like, you know, looking people in the eye and, and saying please and thank you and using their first name. Those are the little things that lubricate relationships and reduce friction. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So talk about your, your varied background a little bit. As I mentioned in the opening, as a Marine Corps officer, you, you started out in tanks, right? That's correct. Yeah. And uh, so you, in your book, No Yelling, and I highly recommend people pick it up. It's It's got a few years on it now, but it still holds up very well. Uh, you, you tell a story about being out on an exercise and uh, getting called up to, to, I think, you to visit with the CEO. And you you tell your unit, I think you the words you say, uh, be productive. Be productive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, thanks for bringing that up. Uh, <laughs> You know, second lieutenant um, out with my tank platoon in the, the training area of Camp Fuji, which is at the base of Mount Fuji, Japan. Um, it begins to snow. It was in, in in December. And the smart thing would have been to go back to barracks, just cancel the entire thing. But no, we're going to be out there for a couple of days. So we moved from the offense to the defense and I bring my Marines together. And I said, look, I don't know how long we're going to be here. Just do something productive. 
productive. I mean, there's so many things that they could do in that situation. They could eat. They could, heck, they could sleep or in a tactical situation. They could maintain their vehicles. They could maintain their weapons. There's just a bunch of things that they could be doing in a tactical situation. Well, it continues to snow. I get down in my vehicle. I'm orienting myself on the map. I'm cleaning my pistol and all these things. And I hear my name being called. And it's Adam, Jack, the captain wants to see you. And I trudge on over through the snow. And uh, my, my company commander is, is looking at me and he's red with rage as he points in front of my vehicles. And he says, what is that? And I look and double take over to the front of the vehicle and I'm one of the tanks. And I said, looks like a couple of snowmen, sir. <laughs> he wasn't, he wasn't amused. And, and actually it was a snow couple. Um, they were anatomically correct. I'll leave it at that, but a bunch of 18, 19 year old Marines. So I'll let you figure that one out. And, uh, you know, is this some new defensive maneuver you learned at Fort Knox? Are you trying to embarrass me in front of the battalion commander? You know, dot, 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 star, exclamation, F, um, exclamation, you know, and I'm like, no, sir, sorry, sir. I told my Marines to do something productive and clearly I wasn't specific enough. And, 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 and that everything that, you know, we started this conversation, everything that happens or fails to happen. It was clear in my mind that I told them to be productive. And, and in fact, they were productive. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, and if you really think about it, think about the story you told about Chesty being on Peleliu and coming upon a situation and interpreting the situation, right? Um, these kids have never seen snow, right? 18, 19 years old from the South. What did you do? You know, what did my kids do when they were the first? What does everyone do the first time they see snow, right? They try to pull it together and create some snowballs and create a little snowman and and all those things. And they were just being human. Um, now again, you know, I was just like, for God's sake, I talked to my gunny, actually my, my, my senior list. I said, gunny, could, could you go take care of this? <laughs> and, uh, and he did now. And, and there's a punchline in this though, by the way, when we get, you know, these, these young guys doing this stuff, young Marines doing this stuff. And, you know, I didn't write them up or put them on charges. It was just one of those, you know, Oh, oopses, I guess. But what's really cool is when I don't remember the exact timing now. I think it was five years later when one of those Marines gets commissioned as an officer and asks me to pin his bars on him. Mm. Um, so if for those people in leadership positions and leadership roles, people will build snowmen. They will let you down. They will screw up. They will not do things the way you think everything should be done, but then they will also provide opportunities uh, and do things where, quote, you're pinning bars on them, and that is worth the snowman. Oh, yeah. No, 100%. And there's a lot there. I remember, you know, reading that for the first time, and, and like, I could visualize it being a Marine myself. Like, yeah, yeah, that, that's probably exactly where my mind would have went to but yeah, with snow. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, and, and you know, people who haven't been in that position, they may not be able to quite identify, but you're right. And, and you learned a little bit more about being a leader, about uh, better clarity of communication. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, and, and, you know, because the, the whole guidance from, from Pat and, you know, uh, just don't tell them what to do, tell them what needs to be done and let them dazzle with your brilliance. There are a yeah. little bit of limitations to that, right? 
There are, obviously, and, and that comes down to a phrase uh, that we'll use in the military called commander's intent. Yeah. Um, you know, set the guidelines, set the guardrails, and turn them loose. So with, with all that fun in tanks being safely secured on the ground in a big, uh, fairly impenetrable metal box, what, what got you decide to uh, to, to jump into whirlybirds? Uh, you know, I, I don't know. I... I, I uh, it, I never wanted to be the guy sitting there to, and, and, you know, 10, 20, 30 years from now to say I could have been, um, you know, it's about living a life with no regrets. So, um, you know, I always had in the back of my mind that I, you know, I, maybe I could be a pilot or maybe go aviation. And, and I just didn't initially, but, uh, after four years, there is a program where a, a, a handful of, of people are able to transition to, to naval aviation, to Marine Corps aviation, and and I applied for it. Um, the the key, the, the bottom line is I applied because I didn't want to be the guy ten years from now saying I could have. Any any similar stories to the the tank story in aviation? No, 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 because I, I learned how to communicate better. Um, yeah, uh, clarity of communication is one of the key things, and. Um, yeah, and you see it in, in, in just basic life, you know, like, Hey, where do you want to go to dinner? Oh, it doesn't really matter. Oh, I don't, you know, whatever. And then you go out to dinner and the person you're with is like, yeah, I didn't really want to come to radio. I'm like, why didn't you say so? <laughs> right. Well, I didn't want to be difficult. Well, now you're sitting there having a bad time, right? So clarity of communication as the sender and the receiver is one of the primary responsibilities of a leader. And if you're, again, if you're sitting there thinking, well, what can I do to get better? Um, become a better communicator. Well, yeah. Oh, man. And so, again, I, I didn't want this episode to be 100% military-centric, but, you know, we're, we're hitting on all cylinders here because, you know, there's a reason why we have, uh, you know, kind of a, a callback command or, or a repeat command in the military to make sure what was said is what was heard, Right. Well, yeah, and in high and in artillery, but you know, in artillery, silence is consent, right? So rather than muck it up, you you know, if I if 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 there's no correction on it, it's fire it. Uh, but you go through the drive-through and at at Chick Fil A or wherever, and some of them do the read back, and some of them don't. Um, I remember one of my first bosses using the phrase to the effect of, "So let me." Just so, just so we can make sure. So, what you just said is, and they were doing what's called restatement and paraphrase. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm thinking to myself, "Yeah, you moron, that's exactly what I said. Can't you listen?" Um, the moron was me not realizing that they were using superior communication skills. So, restatement and paraphrase. Now, within that, it's all in the delivery. Uh, if I say, "Hey, just so I made sure I got this correct, Earl, what you just said is dot dot dot." That's significantly different than me saying, all right, so what you just said is, right, one is the burden is on me, burden of command, right? One is I've just implied that you're a dumbass. <laughs> well, yeah, and it's so valuable because, you know, I've uh, yes, I've had this discussion many, many times. It's like, well, we're not communicating face-to-face. Well, even better, you can write an email that says, this is, this is how I interpreted what you said. Is this correct? Absolutely. And, and you go uh, that, you know, absolutely. Um, you know, uh, because there's really three conversations, maybe four. There's the one you think we had. There's the one I think we had. 
Um, there's the one we think we had. And then when you listen to the tape, there's the one we actually had, which, oh, by the way, still has multiple interpretations. So, yes, clarity of communications in any relationship um, is very important. And, and I think even in the face to face, I really do believe that people, especially in in a space that we're in speaking. Right. I, I, I think people really do underestimate the power of your voice and the power of your body language and how much even saying the same exact words, how much your voice and body language can change the message that's sent. Yeah. I mean, there's been a lot of research done on that, but it's, it's absolutely true that um, particularly if you know the person very well, that subtle eye roll, that subtle glance away that how are my arms crossed? Are they tight? Are they open? Um, all of those things, your, your, your receiver in the, you know, you're the send of the receiver is processing at a subconscious level, not even in, you know, the meaty thinking part of their brain. But remember that thing we call gut feeling mm-hmm. and we don't know where it comes from. Well, it comes from the fact that you are picking up all those subtle cues. Um, and you're going, I don't trust this guy or, ah, what's she saying there? Or, oh, what's going ah. Uh, that's coming from a real place. It's just one that we have a hard time articulating. So absolutely right. Yeah, that's that's one of the hooks. And, and I use it every once in a while. Uh, you know, people that have, have, have heard us talk a little bit, they kind of caught on. But, you know, I'll come out and I'll be like, hi, my name's Earl Brienne, and I'm mm-hmm. happy to be here with you today. Mm-hmm. And then you could see the audience, their faces like, oh, shit, this oh next hour God. and a half is going to yeah. suck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So then, but then you switch it and you, you come across like your normal delivery and you, everybody's like, Oh, thank God. Yeah, that's great. Good technique. <laughs> so, all right. Well, you know, we, we battled through some, some communications things here and, uh, but I think we got a lot of great content out there. Uh, I'm going to put some links to, to your stuff in the show notes because I really want to promote you and, and what you're doing at Firestarter. Uh, I, I really do like the mission and, and, and think y'all are doing some great things. Um, uh, before we ramp it up and I, and I let you out of here, uh, is there anything that you would like to share with the audience that we haven't covered yet? Well, this reminds me of a time I was on a, a television interview, actually, uh, in support of, of you know, my first book, which you cited, No Yelling, The Nine Secrets of Marine Corps Leadership, You Must Know to Win in Business. And this happens in every interview almost, I think. Uh, you've seen it, you've had it done happen to you and your audience has seen it. So, you know, you're in this 30 second, 30 minute, three hour, however long the interview is. And at the end of the interview, this is the true story. The interviewer says, okay, in the time remaining, summarize, you know, and they ask this incredibly long winded question is really more about them talking than about me talking. So the first thing that goes through my mind at the end of their incredibly long, not that yours was long winded, by the way, (laughs) after that incredibly long winded question was, oh, my God, how much time do I have left? (laughs) So, you know, in the heat of the moment, I was like, all right, it comes down to this trust and respect. So I talk about trust and respect. Right. And then so and here's the final comment then that we and you always do talk about these these concepts, these principles, these tools, techniques of leadership. And what I say to folks is that these are universal principles. Mm-hmm. What I mean by that is works most of the time on most of the people. Um, 
but there are always there's always going to be someone who's who's goofy, someone who's not normal, somebody who has issues and, you know, who doesn't play along. Right. So you do, you know, your listener does. Well, I've done everything Earl has said for the last, you know, however many podcasts I did what Wally said, but this person isn't doing what I, you know, they're not responding. You know, therefore, this stuff is bullshit. Therefore, this stuff doesn't work. And no, it didn't work on them. Um, it works on most of the people most of the time. Um, and the, 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 I get the, 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 so the, the, the thing here is don't get discouraged. Um, mm. you know, when you go do these things, communicate more effectively, show trust and respect, you know, all the things we've talked about and you continue to talk about on this show. Um, it, it just means keep at it, right? P- people will build snowmen as we've talked about. Some people are, are going to create blizzards. You probably <laughs> need to fire those people, right? But, um, this stuff works most of the time on most of the people. Their universal principles does not work all the time on everybody, but um, and there are reams of research that show that it works. So, you know, quote trust and respect are probably the crucible core things. But also, it you're going to have some bad days and you're going to have some bad people. Uh, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't be doing this stuff because um, it does work. Oh. I love that. I love that. It's like you were reading my mind. Uh, so the, the episode that's going to come out right before this one is going to be uh, about a gentleman named Cliff Young. And I, I don't want to ruin it for, for the listeners, but if you've not heard a, a, of Cliff Young, uh, give him a look. And uh, it, it ties into everything you were just saying. Uh, so, well, again, Wally, I, I appreciate you being with us. I appreciate you sharing uh, and, and battling through these technical difficulties. I really do uh, value everything you're saying. Like I said before, I'm going to have your uh, links up. I, I want to really push what you all are doing and, and hopefully drum up some business for you. At least have people curious. Uh, so uh, thank you for being with us today. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it and continue uh, continue the mission. Will do. And, and for our listeners, if you have any questions uh, for me, or, or for Wally, like I said, I'll have his contact info up on, on how to find him on social media and whatnot. Yep. Uh, you can reach out to me at burden.command at gmail.com. That's burden.command at gmail.com. And uh, you know, again, keep those shields up and look forward to speaking with you again in the next episode. Are you passionate about saving the planet for future generations? Do you want to learn how to do it? If yes, then you need to tune in to the Nature Back podcast. It's a talk show covering the changing world around us. From renewable energy, sustainable agriculture, circular economy, to ESG and social innovation. Don't miss this opportunity to discover how you can join the movement and make a difference. Subscribe to the Nature Back podcast today on your favorite platform and get ready to be amazed. Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. We're the founders of Electrocast Media, bringing you great podcasts like Nightmare Road Stories, Tech Talk Revolution, and Bodacious Minds. Electrocast Networks include Ruby for female empowerment, the best business network, and GPN for geopolitics. We built this company to create community and amplify diverse voices, and we really appreciate your support. So, keep listening to Electrocast Podcasts, and hear the culture.
Electric Acid. Electric Acid. 